Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. You know, today, if I had to uh, summarize, you know, what God is teaching me, and you can drop the bolt is coming. Uh, in this season and over the last seven months, I think what God is, is deepening me in is this word endurance. That God wants me to be a pastor with endurance, a husband with endurance, a child, a, a father with endurance. In this season, it's about perseverance and endurance. And so let me ask you, what is God teaching you in this season? How does he want to take you deeper? So that as we look back on 2020, I know a lot of us look back and we think 2020, what a mess. What if this is the year that God refines us, perfects us in some way, strengthens us, changes us, moves us in a new direction, that we look back five years from now and said, you know what, 2020 was that turning point for me. Where the addictions in my life started to lose their grip because I started pushing into community, into Christ more where my anxieties or fears, where I saw myself in a new light, moving out into the world as, as a disciple of Christ, seeking to, to really preach and proclaim the gospel through my life and my actions and my words. What if 2020 was that turning point? You know, when I came to Colorado, I was surprised when I heard the statistic that Colorado, year after year, is one of the top 10 states in terms of suicide in our nation. I wouldn't believe that because you think of the mountains, the sunshine, the beauty. But this is a state that, and certainly in this COVID season, many people are struggling. Many people are going through financial hardships. People have lost their jobs. We see the social unrest, the protests, the, the riots that, are, that have taken place across our nation. We've seen unprecedented wildfires and the smoke that invades our community and invades the air. We see more social unrest. We see a political season filled with strife and division and often immaturity. What if in this season of, of so much calamity and strange experiences that God is, is birthing something new in us? And instead of seeing this as a year of deficit, what if this was, what if we changed the narrative? What if God is building something in us and in the church and moving us out in the world in a way that brings life and hope, compassion, and peace? What if the things of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, what if that's real? And God, through his spirit in this season, wants to deepen us to the place that we move out into the world in a brand new way. And what if it starts with us? I can be completely honest this morning. I've been in ministry 25 years. My first church I served in 1995 in Waco, Texas. This has been by far the most difficult season I have ever gone through. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, relationally, in every way, this has been a challenging season. And sometimes you sit in that challenge and you get stuck. You find all the wrong reasons to move forward. But what if, what if God wants to do something in this hardship that moves us in a new direction with a new spirit and a new vision? I want to jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This has been a pas passage that has, has anchored me. Sometimes, you know, when I walk to the church, 
just live about a mile away. And this passage has been something that I've recited to myself as I'm walking over. I'm just reminding myself, God, you're the father of mercies. You're the God of all comfort. And though I'm going through this affliction, comfort me in this affliction so that I might comfort others. So let's jump into this passage in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But see, that was to make us not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let me pray. Father, you are the God of mercy, the Father of all comfort. And Father, in Jesus' name, as we gather, whether online or in person, I want to ask that your mercy and comfort would meet us in our afflictions. Maybe it's in our fears, our anxieties. It could be in our relational brokenness or physical brokenness or mental, emotional brokenness or just our grief over this season, grief over those who are sick. We lift up even our president in this season. Ask for your healing and restoration. Father, whatever those afflictions are, would you comfort us, meet us in this place, and show us, Father, the ways that you want to build us up, that we might move out to the world in 2020 in a way that others will say, thank you, Father, for these people and the impact they've had in my life. Father, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul says as he was going through his missionary journeys that he experienced this great affliction. And to be honest, we're not exactly certain what Paul was experiencing. But we do know that whatever happened, it was an affliction that was so great, he said, we despaired of life itself. And we had a moment in life where you just couldn't go on. The burdens were too great. The stress was too heavy. The weight of what was going to happen tomorrow or next week, the uncertainty was so weighty on your soul, you despaired of life itself. And yet in that place of great dark and dark, darkness and brokenness and hardship, 
Paul says it was an opportunity to experience the mercy and the comfort of God. You know, the New Testament has this common theme that God uses suffering to deepen and to perfect us, to make us more aware, one, of who he is, but second, of what we're trusting in, and to loosen the grip of the world, of the flesh, of the devil, to loosen the things in the world, and to draw us back to the Father. God uses hardships and difficulties to perfect us if we're willing to humble ourselves and draw near to him. And so let me read some of these passages first in Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Paul says in Romans 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Now why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith, it produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. And so in this, you rejoice, meaning in your salvation, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we see Paul, we got James, we got Peter. God uses suffering to test the quality of our faith. Now, when he says to test our faith, what's he referring to? He's referring to that ability to hold on to God, to trust and to depend upon him regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what's happening, to find joy, to rejoice. And as Paul says uh, in 2 Corinthians, blessed be the God and Father, to praise God in the midst of hardship because we know that God is at work. We are not alone. We have not been abandoned. But there is something in this season he wants to do in us and birth through us so that others might see the character of the God that we worship. I love in this, this passage the image that Paul gives us of God, his character and the way that he engages us. Watch this in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he calls God the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Now Paul is likely echoing a passage from Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34 verse six is the most quoted passage in all the Bible. And it says this, and it talks of God's character this way. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Of all the great passages in the Bible, of all the things that could be repeated over and over again, this is the one verse in the Bible that is quoted more and more often by the writers of Scripture, that God is compassionate. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is slow to anger, and he is abounding in steadfast love. That when the authors of Scripture wanted to characterize the character of God, the word compassion and mercy shows up. 
Now, in the Hebrew, it's this word rahum. And it's an interesting word. It can be translated as mercy, compassion. But the root word of rahum is the Hebrew word for the female womb. That when God has compassion upon us, it is like a mother caring for her newborn daughter or son. It is an emotionally packed word filled with feeling, with compassion, that movement towards a child where you not only want to embrace them, you want to care for them, you want to serve them, you want to love them, you want their future to be well. Realize that is the word that Scripture uses to describe God's heart for us and especially God's heart for us when we are going through hardships. He is like a mother caring for her injured child. And you see it throughout Scripture when you, you follow this word compassion or mercy. You see the people of Israel as they're in Egypt. And they're crying out to God and suffering and hardship. And it says God's rahum, his mercy, his compassion was stirred. And he sought to rescue his people. And as they were going through the wilderness when they didn't have food, they didn't have water, it said God's rahum, his, his mercy, his compassion was stirred. And God provided for his people. And then when you get to the New Testament, you find that Jesus is the embodiment and the incarnation of God's compassion. He comes to Israel, he comes to Jerusalem, and in Matthew chapter 23, he looks at the city and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, saying, I love you, I care for you. You've rejected the prophets. You've rejected everyone we've sent, but how I long to gather you like a hen gathers her brood. That is the rahum, that's the mercy and the compassion of God for a people who are going to reject him, mock him, and crucify him. God is filled with mercy and compassion towards our brokenness. He understands our wickedness. He understands our bent. He loves us with a mercy and a compassion. This is the father that we draw near, near to in times of hardship and suffering. But not only is he a God of compassion and mercy, it says in the scripture that he is also the God of all comfort. And all of us like comfort. I, I don't know anyone that doesn't like comfort, whether it's Rocky Road or ice cream, whether it's hiking or, or just a good day, a good morning, a good afternoon, being with family, a great meal. We love comfort. But notice, Paul says he's the God of all comfort. All the comfort that we hope for in life is found in our Father. He is the amen of comfort because we chase comfort in addictions. We chase comfort in relationships and money and experiences. And yet all of that comfort is wrapped up in the character of our God. And see, he wants to pour out that comfort towards us, not just on the good days, but on the days where we feel we are despairing of life. And if I could be honest in this season, I've learned what depression is. I don't see myself as a person who struggles with that often, but in this season, yeah, that's probably depression. In this season, I think what I've experienced is grief, that sense of numbness. You're angry, but you're not sure why. It's like you've lost something, and you're not sure how to regain it or what to find or what's going to solve it. And the stuff that you used to go to that made things better, just, it's just not working. And it's in those moments as I'm walking to church, I got to say, Father, be my rahum, be my mercy, be compassion. 
Father, comfort me in my affliction. Notice, not so that I could walk around and be happy, but so that I might comfort others. God comforts and he does a work in us in 2020 so that we can move out into the world and into the lives of others and bring the same comfort that God has given us to impact the lives of people in this community. As we talked about, Colorado is one of the top 10 states in terms of suicide. There are people in this community, whether in this church or outside, that are hurting. They've gone through tremendous financial loss. They're seeing the racial unrest. They're seeing the protests. Maybe they've driven downtown and they see the mess on the streets and there is a hurt and a brokenness. And if we as the people of God, the children of God, would just simply get under God's wing, allow his mercy and compassion to pour over us, he wants that compassion to flow through us, to touch the lives of others. See, what is God going to do in the midst of our pain, in verses four through six, Paul begins to address how God uses our hardships to change us. And there are two big ideas as I was looking at it this week and just struggling with this passage saying, Father, what do you wanna teach us through this? Here's the first thing that I feel like the Lord is teaching me is that through this suffering, he wants us to become a people of compassion. In a season of criticism, God wants us to be a community of compassion. And then second, second, that our suffering, God wants to use it, the pain that we experience to reveal who or what we're trusting in. So first, he wants us to be a community of compassion. Watch this, verse four. Again, he says, God comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those, and notice the language, who are in any affliction regardless of what's going on. And sometimes what we do, and I'm, I'm this kind of person because I'm so judgmental myself, I'll look at other people's problems and I'll say, really? That's your 10? That's no 10, buddy. That's my 2.2. That's my 3.1. But notice, a 10 is a 10. It's just a 10 for that person. It, it's not about what you've gone through, but he's saying in any affliction, God wants us to step in and be that comfort so that we might share it with others. Verse five, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Christ suffered so that we might be brought near to the rahum, the mercy, the compassion of God. And to the degree that Christ has done, a, done that for us, we experience his comfort. Verse six, and if we're afflicted in this life, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience. And here's the key word we're going to land on. When you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. The key insight here is that suffering has the potential to transform us into a people of compassion. And by nature, compassion is not my starting point. I tend to start, if I can be honest, on the page of criticism. And I think that's a self-learned trait. You know, often, how do you view yourself? Those that view themselves with compassion and mercy are often more merciful. Jesus said, be compassionate, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. In 2020, how do, how do you imagine God wants you to deepen in your ability to show compassion towards others? 
You know, James says, consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds, not because the trials are good and not because what is happening is good, but because of what God wants to do through it and what he wants to bring out of it. Now, to get us to that place, we've got to get our hands around this word in verse 6, when you patiently endure. I don't like that language. I don't want to patiently do anything. And I certainly don't want to patiently endure when I'm depressed and I'm anxious, I'm overwhelmed and I'm angry. I want comfort now. But see, what happens is we resist God in such a way that the very thing he wants to give us, we're pushing back against because we will not stand fast to endure, to patiently endure. It's this word in the the Greek, hupomone, and it means to stand, to not be moved. It's the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances, to remain, to continue. And see, Scripture says we've got to allow that remaining, that standing. Sometimes you feel like you're doing nothing. You're just holding on to God. You're continuing to trust him, and it feels like you're not being really active, but Scripture says you've got to allow that patient endurance to finish its work that often challenges come into our lives because there's something lacking in us. There's something that we're missing. There's a faith that needs to be refined. There's a character that needs to be brought out. And God, in this season, what if for the church, this is our greatest season, the greatest season of revival, the greatest season of refinement, of God taking the gold, placing it in the fire, burning off all the the junk on the outside, all the impurities that maybe we get into as a church sometimes. And what comes out is pure gold, a faith that is refined and pure, a vision of God that is clear, and a life that moves out into the world that is compelling in a season of criticism and contempt. We could be a community of compassion. And why can we do that? Because that is the character of our God. So in 2020, what are the afflictions God wants to address? What are the areas of your life that he wants to press in? And hear me, where do you need to stand firm? If I can be honest, as I've been wrestling in this this season, just looking at myself, you know, God, what are you doing in my life? And how, do you, how is this season supposed to make me a better pastor, a better man, a better disciple of Jesus? I'll be honest. I think God is producing an endurance of emotion in me. One, he wants me to be in tune with what I feel. And I'm often not good at that. I know anger and I know love. And those are about the two I go between, right? I love you. I hate you. I'm angry at you, you're wonderful. Those, that's kind of my poles, and those, that's, I kind of bounce between the two. But I'm realizing this season, I really need to be in tune. Emotions are from God, all of them. God has created us to be emotional beings, and when we are not emotionally mature, it's very difficult to be spiritually mature. Jesus knew when he weeped, wept, he was grieving. He knew when, when he... You see in the life of Jesus, the life of someone who is emotionally whole. And in a time of trial like this, we have to press in and understand what is it I'm experiencing. And I'll be honest, I think God, for me, is pressing me into that place of endurance. 
that place of holding fast. Now, holding fast in the way of saying, God, what is, on the one hand, being aware of what's happening, realizing what you're experiencing, being honest about it, and here's the other part, which I don't like, telling someone else, letting them know. Because often, I think, at least for me in my weakness, I don't want you to see that. I don't want you to know that. I want you to see me as strong and competent, capable. I don't want to walk out in weakness. But Paul says, you know what? I'd rather boast right now in my weaknesses so the power of Christ may dwell in me. And in this season, I think God wants, certainly in my life, to find that place of emotional stability and endurance. And then second, if I could be honest, I think he's purifying my motives. See, as a pastor, you can do the right thing for the wrong reason, and you guys would never know. You can do the right thing out of a selfish motivation, and it looks the same as doing it out of the right motivation. And, and in ministry, as I've been grieving this season, I've been asking, what is it I'm missing? Because, see, there were things in ministry that fueled my ego. The approval of man. And when those things are taken away, you find that your heart, there's this instability. And what if God in this season is truly purifying our love for him? That out of 2020 comes a true love for God, that the reason we pursue him and chase after him is for him and him alone. That as a pastor, what if our pastors and our leaders purified their love for God in 2020? How might 2021 be so much better? Because we've allowed God in our suffering to comfort us. That's a good point. That's what that means. What is God doing in your life in this season? And how does he want to perfect, to strengthen, to deepen you? I love this in verse 8. Watch this. For we do, we do not uh, want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, beyond our physical strength, our emotional strength, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But here's the truth. That was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What if 2020, what if the purpose of this season is that we learn not to rely on ourselves, but we learn the power of relying on the one who raises the dead? So when you encounter something, and who knows what that experience is, what that experience is but he says, but that was, what was, COVID was, financial loss was, relational difficulties was, racial unrest was, this political season was. The purpose of this season was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What would it look like for you in this season to learn to rely on yourself less and to, and to learn to depend upon God more? Because I think we all learn to cope. And we tend to be able to cope pretty well, right, as long as the, the trials don't get too big. But once they reach that tipping point, God takes us to the end of ourself, and that's where Dallas Willard says you find God. 
that God's address is at the end of yourself. What if we embrace this time? What if we look at this political season and the chaos and and instead of moving in negativity, saying, Father, take me to the end of myself with my frustrations, not so that I rely on myself, but I would depend on you. Or imagine the relational strife that you have with somebody. Father, use this in my life to take me to the end of myself. I can't solve it. I can't fix it. But I want to depend on you, for you are the one who can raise the dead. What is the dead that needs to be raised in you? There's a couple of things I took from this passage as I was wrestling this week in terms of what God may want us to do in this season. And there are two opportunities I think we have. One, we have an opportunity to, re- to move from reliance on our own willpower to reliance on the Spirit's power. Willpower is, is a finite resource. You use it in one area of life, you don't have it for another. And the purpose of our difficulties is to take us to the end of ourself so that we're not simply just depending on our wisdom, our strength, our abilities, but we're, we're crying out to him and saying, Father, I need you. I am desperate for you. As a a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? In this season that is dry and arid, what if there is an oasis in God's presence where we are experiencing the dunamis of God's power? The dunamis means the power. In, In Greek, dunamis is the Greek word for power. And it's also used and captured in words like dynamite, that God's spirit is the dynamite of God to infuse us with a vision for who he is, his mercy, his comfort, and to give us a better vision for life. You know, and discipleship is simply submitting every area of our life increasingly under his authority and empowering presence. So this week, what do you need to submit? What aspect of life can you just say, Father, this week, I'm going I'm to address one thing. You don't have to take care of all of it all at once. But what's one thing that I can say, Father, I'm not going to depend on my strength, my willpower, but I'm going to surrender this to your power and see what you do. I think the first thing God wants us to do in this season, I know he does in my life, is to surrender from my will to his power. But then second, I think it's an opportunity to surrender our will over to God's will. That there are things happening in life, and when I looked at 2020, this wasn't my vision. I don't know who had this vision. Someone did. Someone saw it coming. I didn't. Because, you know, December was great. December 2019, we were living. We were loving life. This church was flowing. We had one of the greatest celebrations, Christmas celebrations. That's beautiful music. People gathered. There's like 900 people in this room, not at once but over two services and as a pastor, you know, my ego's going. My love of man and, and the approval of man is running high. I'm worshiping God. I don't realize what I'm depending on. Things were going well. That was a good season in life. And then it began to change. And as it began to change, the vision that God had wasn't in line with my vision. And my emotions told me that. My body told me that physically. And yet, what if in this season, there's an opportunity to say, okay, Father, this wasn't my vision for life, but you see what's coming and you know what's ahead. 
I want to surrender my will to your will. Because what happens when we surrender our will to his? What comes out of that is a resurrection. Remember the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He sees the vision. He sees it clearly. He knows what he's up against. He knows the cross is coming. He knows rejection, mocking, abandonment. Father, not my will. Let this cup pass. 2020, hey, let it go quickly. And yet not my will, but your will be done. And God out of that brought dunamis. He brought power. He brought good news. He brought a resurrection. In 2020, what if for us at Bergen Park Church, this was the season of resurrection, where God is taking that which is broken and bringing new life simply because we're saying, Father, I, I want to be in line with your will. You know how that starts? What area of your life is God already speaking to? Because you know it. You know, sometimes we want to hear from God and we're like, God, why are you not speaking to me? I don't hear your voice. And often he's saying, you already know what I want you to address. Would you simply surrender that addiction, that frustration to my will? And would you say each morning as you get up, Father, not my will, but your will be done on earth, in my life, Father, as it is in heaven, over this area of my life. And then you need to turn and say, Father, who are you? What's the name I'm worshiping? You are the God of mercy. You are the Father of compassion. You want to comfort me in my afflictions so that I might go to my job. I might face my, my, my family. I might face this challenge in a way that brings compassion, not criticism, that brings love, not contempt. There is an opportunity for us in this season to allow God to do something new. And all of that flows from the example that Christ has set for us. You know, if you, last passage I want to jump to, it's in Hebrews chapter 12. And it describes how Jesus endured, how he was willing to stand and to stay for our benefit. Hebrews chapter 12, verse, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, every sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. And as we run this race, this marathon in 2020, where are we going to set our eyes? Where are we going to set our emotions? Where are we going to set our will? Looking to Jesus, meaning not to Washington, not to the politicians, not to the rhetoric, not to finance, not to physical comfort. In this season, we're setting our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author, the perfecter, the founder of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured. Jesus patiently endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such great hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Notice the language. Consider how Jesus endured. Consider that he endured for us, those who are impatient, those that are not willing to submit, those that often, even in their best moments, have the wrong motivations. Jesus endured for us. 
And in setting our eyes on Jesus and his endurance in those seasons of hardship, we do not grow weary, we do not grow faint-hearted. Verse seven, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Stand firm. Hold on to your relationships. Don't walk away from the church. Don't walk away from Scripture. Stand, endure. By faith, hold on to the God of mercy and the Father of comforts. And hear me on this, press into community. What he's describing here is not something that's going to happen in a quiet time. The revelations that God gives, he gives as we comfort each other. As we're willing to share with one another where we grow weary and faint-hearted, where people know you well enough to say, hey, I spot something in you. I see what's going on. Where you're willing not to run away, not to hide, not simply to run to addiction, but you say, no, this is worth it. And to press in into relationship and community, it's in that place of community that God comforts us. And so it could be the comfort that we're after, the change that we're after, the reason we're not experiencing is we're not pushing in. We're not willing to step past the challenges of this season and say, you know, I need more. I need a hunger for more. And I need to not give up in pursuing that. What if in 2020, we look back in 2021, and we see where we are as individuals, as a community, as a church, as a church that's seeking to serve this, this community. And we realize this is the year that God gave us a new vision, a deeper compassion and heart, and began to refine us in ways that we're seeing the fruit of righteousness paying off in the end. Let's not see 2020 as what's wrong. Let's ask the Spirit what's right. And let's get in line with what he's doing. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that... Father, I thank you that your power is perfected in our weakness. We see the power of God perfected in the weakness of Jesus as he endured the cross. We see the beauty of his mercy and compassion and yet, Father, we see the endurance, the willingness to stand fast as Jesus, while he was righteous, endured our brokenness so that those of us in our brokenness might experience his righteousness. Father, thank you that you endured for us. You have been patient in our, our brokenness and our, our straying and our running astray from you, Father. As the prodigal has run far, Father, we have gone to distant lands and yet you are longing for us to return. And I pray for someone that's here today or listening this week that knows they're in a place where their heart is weary, their body is growing faint, and they simply need to turn and say, Father, be the Father of mercy. Be the God of compassion over me. I confess that I need you. And I pray for those today that have never said, Father, accept me on the basis of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Would he be my savior? Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life through the power of the spirit and by his resurrection, give me new life. 
Father, I thank you that when we simply say, thy will be done and we surrender to you, you bring out new life, new hope, and new peace. And I pray that out of the, whether we call it the ashes of 2020, may there be a new vision for what you desire and how you're gonna use us. Strengthen us, Father, to follow you. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, as, or actually Paul said, as I received of the Lord Jesus Christ, that which we also pass on to you. Do you guys have the elements? If you don't, you can, you can step out and grab that. That Jesus, uh, Paul said of this communion experience, that as we share communion, he tells us not to do it in an unworthy manner, but rather we need to examine to examine our heart, to examine our life, to examine where we are. And as we receive the body and the blood of Christ, to say, maybe that's our prayer, Father, not my will, but your will be done. I just want to pause for a moment as we, we open the wrapping, get that set. I hear it all crackling and the sound of the Spirit moving. We want to center our heart and just acknowledge our God and Father, and what he's done for us to move towards him in a worthy manner, asking him to reveal the things in us he wants to change. Let's spend just a few moments seeking him.